Prepare for trouble. And make it double. To protect the world from devastation. To unite all peoples within our nation. To denounce the evils of truth and love. To extend our reach to the stars above. Matt. Paul. The Nostalgic Millennial Podcast blasts off at the speed of light. Listen now, or prepare to fight. Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Today on the show, we finally talk about a cultural behemoth that has just been a major part of our lives, and that is Pokemon. Now, we're going to start with the original game, the red and blue versions of Pokemon. And then go from there into some of the other elements of the franchise. As far as the game, I'm sure the majority of you know plenty about it already, but it's a turn-based RPG. It involves a lot of party management with your team of Pokemon, these pocket monsters that you capture, and then are able to use their abilities and level them up and get them to evolve So that's really the fun of it, is going around and trying to collect as many of these Pokemon that you possibly can. And we're looking at 150 on the original list. Those are the ones that we will primarily be focusing on because they're the most nostalgic for us. And that original set is really for us where a lot of the uh, a lot of the nostalgia spawns from. So before we go into any more details, uh, I wanted to kick it over to you, Paul, because this was your idea for this episode, and I'd just like to hear your initial thoughts. Why are we starting with, with the games versus the show? Well, you know, I just thought that it would be good to go in chronological order, um, you know, since the game came first and then the show came afterwards. Wow, <laughs> that's... Wow, that's mind-blowing to me. Wait, wait, you didn't know? No. No, I I thought for sure it was the show first, and then they made the games off the show. That's how it works, right? I mean... Oh, (laughs) I guess normally it does, but uh, no, I I have distinct memories of actually playing the game first, and I mean, I did look this up, so, so just for everyone to know, the game was created in 1996, and... This was the original Japanese release. Um, Now, it didn't come out in North America until 98, um, which would put me around 11 years old at the time. And at that point, there was the anime, which had already been released in Japan back in 97, but it's still after the initial release of the game. And then the U.S. anime the dub, uh, the English dub anyway, didn't come out until also in 1998 when the games released in North America. Mind blown. I mean, I guess that makes some sense because it kind of ties into my experience with games in general where I couldn't afford games. So it makes sense that I would see the TV show on Toonami in the morning and then say, oh, I need this game. And normally I would completely have the same experience, 
for me, this is a little bit different. This was a rare occasion where I got something that was relatively new around the time that it came out. Actually, my first memory of Pokemon was getting the the red and blue games, both of them, for Christmas that year. And I particularly remember my aunt uh, giving me one of them. We used to gather with my dad's side of the family, which I think we may have mentioned before. We both have Italian blood, Italian heritage, you know, from our from our father's sides. And uh, so we would do this sort of um, Christmas Eve celebration at my grandparents' house. Uh, there's this Italian tradition that's known as the Seven Fishes. We didn't partake in all of them, but there was some element of that. And then we would open gifts and... You know, my aunt got me one of them, and then the next day, my parents got me the other one when we opened uh, presents on Christmas itself. So, very, very unusual, but I actually did. It was right at the end of the year, not until December, you know, Christmas time, but I did technically get these games in the year that they were released. So, for me, that was pretty rare. But I take it that you had a different experience? So, I take it you never had the issue with Squirtle and Charmander, right? This is the biggest issue that I had. You couldn't collect all the Pokemon unless you had blue and red. And so you had, you had to get that little dingle connector. Adapter yeah, there was a cable. Yeah, there was this little connector cord that connected the two a friend's Game Boy together with yours. And at the time, I should mention that uh, I had a Game Boy Pocket. It's something I wanted to talk about because I don't think a lot of people maybe remember these. Nowadays, when you look on eBay or look at game stores, you see a lot of the old original brick Game Boys and you see the the color ones. And they even had a Pikachu like Pokemon uh, styled Game Boy color. But in between those, there was the Game Boy Pocket, which was just a smaller version of that giant brick one. It didn't have color really at all, but it was just a lot more portable. So that's what I was playing on. I think the reason that I was able to get these games and to have a Game Boy, whereas other like major consoles that I could not, was simply because of price. This was a thing that was cheap enough that my parents would actually get it, whereas a console was a no-go. So, I mean, that that's sort of... Actually, I did quite a lot of gaming on, which I still have the Game Boy Pocket because it was one of the rare system, quote, systems that I was able to acquire. But anyway, so yeah, I didn't really struggle with that, with collecting them both. I did still have to struggle with uh, who to pick as my starter, however, Um, but I sort of I sort of jumped in there. So I'll let you I'll sort of kick it back to you for a second. Well, it's funny you mentioned Game Boy Pocket because that was my Game Boy as well. And as we talked about in the N64 episode, there are certain games that are popular at the time and you got to have them. And Pokemon, it was one of those games. And everyone was out there battling back and forth and they were using the adapter to connect their Game Boys to trade because you had to trade certain champs. I also think it was uh, Machamp was another one you had to like trade mm-hmm. in order to evolve him to Machamp, etc. Yes. But obviously I fell in love with the, with the TV show first. Because that was what was on my cable, and I saw it every morning before leaving for school, and I fell in love with Pokemon. I needed the game. Everyone was playing it. And so I was like, okay, I got to get this game. What do I got to do? So I went to my parents, and what do they say? Get a job. And I was about 10 years old at this time. (laughs) Telling a 10-year-old to get a job. If you did get a job, would they have let you go to the job, do you think? Or how would you even have gotten there? I don't know. Well, this is the story. (laughs) I actually got the job. So 
the only job, you know, we could talk about child labor laws and whatnot, but the Parmesan Post, which was my newspaper, you know, it's a local newspaper at the time, allowed little kids to sign up for them. And it was a newspaper delivery service, but it was kind of a little bit more than that because you not only delivered the newspapers, but you collected the money. And so they billed you the total amount for your week for whatever you owed. And then it was your job to not only deliver the papers, but to go door to door and collect from your customers. And so on Sunday nights, and I've got tons of stories about this. I don't want to go into too much detail, maybe a different episode. But on Sunday nights, I would go out by myself at night, door to door and knock on people's doors, ring their doorbells, hope I could collect. And they would come to my door and they'd say, what do you want? I'd say, I'm here to collect your two. It was like 250 a month or 250 a week. I'm here to collect. And, and I, I would hope they would have money. And these are people who would dodge you. They would avoid you. They wouldn't answer the door because they would see who you were. And they're like, I'm not answering. Or they'd say, oh, uh, I don't have the money now. But if I didn't collect the money, how was I going to pay the bill? I couldn't so pay you were, you, So you were basically like paying for the privilege to get billed by the newspaper company. And that because that there's actually a this is has no place here, really. But there was a Clarissa explains it all episode where she's trying to save up money for a car and she signs up for this um, Christmas card selling company and they send all these cards to the house. But she's liable to pay for all the cards despite having not sold them yet. So that's basically what you're describing here. And I can't believe as a 10 year old, like people are dodging a 10 year old to not pay you a couple dollars. You you needed like a mob enforcer to go with you on this route. It sounds like I did. I did. And yeah, you're right. They billed me the second they, they gave me the papers to deliver and then collect, but they billed me in full once that was done. And so it was up to me to deliver and then collect. And so, yeah, I ran into issues where, where people wouldn't pay. And so I would call them. They wouldn't help me. And unfortunately, you accrue this this debt because they keep billing you every single time you owe money. And it was kind of horrific because ultimately I was able to make enough money and I bought a Game Boy Pocket Blue and Pokemon Blue. But then I was kind of done. But they kept billing me and kept sending me stuff. And then they started getting into debt with this, with this company. Oh, and man. what they would do is I, I, you know, I owed hundreds of dollars to them. And so they sent people to our house to collect this money. And I remember my younger brother and I, we hid in bushes once we saw a car coming because I, I remember being in the bushes while the car was coming <laughs> and they would leave a poster on our door saying, we came here to collect. We'll come back again. And no joke. It was, it was a picture of masked people with, with sunglasses on. Wait, are you kidding me? Saying we came to collect. It was, so wait, ter- it was wait. terrifying. <laughs> wait, it was so, horrifying. So these, these guys are, I said you needed a mob enforcer to go with you, but these guys sound like they are the mob. I'm going to make them an offer. He can't refuse. I mean, this is insane. I, I, I can't believe this. My brother and I, no joke. We call them the sun post mafia because they were <laughs> hell bent on collecting their money and I didn't know what to do. And so basically what I did was I went to every house and said, I got to get out of this. So I went to every house and said, this is how much you owe. You got to pay me or else. And obviously I have no threat about that. 
other than or else because I'm a little I'm a 10 year old kid trying to do this and ultimately some of them paid others didn't and so basically the rest of my money I mean it was months and months of me delivering their papers it just went to them because I just I was like listen I'm not taking any profits anymore I'm just gonna pay the bill and I'm done and that, that's how it ended where I was like I'm paying the bill I'm done but obviously the customers pocketed I mean they probably got months and months of this paper for free and I just said, I'm out. And as far as I know, the only profits I ever made were just to buy Pokemon Blue on a blue Game Boy Pocket. And so that was my story as to how I incurred it, which is why I thought the game was after the TV show because I first experienced the TV show and then got the game. Well, I can't blame you for uh, the chronological confusion since you were like fighting for your life against this SunPost Mafia. Sounds like you had worse problems on your hands. It's intense stuff, man. And what did your parents think about all this? Honestly, I, you know, my dad was out with me delivering the papers. But beyond that, they they did settle the bill. So it was it might have been a combination of whatever I had collected. Plus, I mean, maybe they paid like several hundred bucks to cover the bill. I don't know. But it did close and we were done. But yeah, there was no discussion about, hey, maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't have made him do the Sun Post route. Maybe we should have just got him, got it for him for Christmas or good grades or something. Because I was a good student. None of that. It was just, it just disappeared with my profits plus whatever they put in, and then yeah, it went away. But I've never had a discussion with them about why they made me do what I did or <laughs> if they thought it was a good decision or not. It was just, thankfully, it ended. But end well, game Pokemon Game Boy Pocket, and I still have it to this day. Well, hey, I mean, at least at least you got it. Okay, so looking at it this way then, since you did finally have it in hand, now that you had it, now first of all, what made you pick blue, right? And then secondly, let's get into the idea of who what which starter do you go with? Because, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the original games, basically what happens is, you know, uh, you go to see Professor Oak and you know, he's got the three Pokemon starters that you can choose from. You got the Charmander, the Squirtle, the Bulbasaur. So you had to pick one. And so that that was just how you had to do it. So, I mean, what, what, how do you play that? Well, I ended up picking blue because my best friend had red. And so it was the way that we could connect. So he could get Squirtle. I could get his Charmander. That's why I made that decision. I think ultimately my probably, I think, I think Charizard was probably my favorite, but I was I was stuck in a corner with getting the blue there. And again, you had you had to make the trade. What, what were your first picks? Well, I went my first starter that I got. Um, I went with Squirtle. Squirtle, Squirtle, Squirtle. I was definitely a Squirtle guy. I think as far as those first three, he's probably my favorite. It wasn't really based on much. Just the look of the character. I thought he was cool. Later on, I mean, this is sort of a, a bit later, but when they released Pokemon Yellow. Um, I did get that because I wanted to be able to start with Pikachu, Pikachu. from from the start, um, much like in the show. But we'll kind of get to that uh, to the show a bit later. On top of picking your starter Pokemon, one thing that I was curious about, or just generally, who are your favorite Pokemon? So, I mean, not even necessarily you're going to use them in your team, but just maybe the way that they look or you know, what type they are, you know, whatever it is that for whatever reason that you like them. Do you have any that are at the top of the list? My favorite was probably Gyarados because you had, mm. 
make him from from Magikarp. Magikarp. And he was a an amazingly powerful creature. And you could give him the most powerful spells. You could give him Hydro Pump. You could give him Hyper Beam. He was very versatile in that regard. And so he was probably the most powerful Pokemon that I would go with. I was also partial to a lot of the Psychic Pokemon. So I liked the Abracadabra. So I was I was a little bit partial to the Psychic Pokemon. Machamp. Machamp. I, lo- I love Machamp when you could... I think probably because you couldn't get him originally without trading him to evolve him. But he was also a pretty fun Pokemon to play with. But I And I will say, with regard to the legendary Pokemon, Articuno was probably my favorite. He was the ice bird. I used him a lot, and he's really strong as well. What about you? I agree with the, as far as the legendary goes, and we do have some similar picks there. Um, I mean, just to state this from the beginning, this is going to be incredibly boring and obvious for a lot of people, but I loved Pikachu. He was great. Um mainly because of the cartoon, I think. Uh, but if I'm going to go past him, uh, you know, I, I always liked the dog-type Pokemon just because they were dogs. So Growlithe, Arcanine, I, I enjoyed. Um, there was also... Uh, I liked Kubone. I thought he was cool. Um, just, an, just an interesting-looking character. And, you know, evolving him into the Mar- Marowak uh, I thought was pretty neat. Um, you mentioned Abracadabra, Alakazam. I was big into that evolution chain. Um, the ghost Pokemon, I always thought, were really interesting. I remember in the first game, there's that whole area you go into that is like populated with the ghost Pokemon. And uh, so Ghastly, Hunter, Gengar, that whole evolution, I thought was neat. And then, you know, I've got to also shout out Eevee. Uh, Eevee was always fun. You get the the three different possibilities of evolution there. I guess I just sort of favored water for some reason, because I like the Vaporeon. But honestly, Jolteon was pretty awesome, too. You know what? Flareon is awesome, too. I take that back. They're all awesome. I can't really pick. And then uh, there were a couple odd, stranger ones, like um, the Kabuto, which was sort of like a crab-looking Pokemon. Not terribly strong, but I just... I just like the aesthetic. Might be because I had um, some hermit crabs at one point in time, and they kind of reminded me of that. I always liked Porygon because it was just bizarre, like very weird, like compared to the other Pokemon. Looked like something that came out of like geometry class or something. It was just just really strange because it looked almost like an object rather than like an animal in many ways. Yeah, that's just yeah, that's a quick rundown of some of my favorites. Yeah, I think those are all great selections. I think Eevee especially, it's one of the first big choices you can make in the game. I was actually talking to my neighbor's kid recently, and he said they have up to five evolutions of Eevee. And I'm like, listen, man, Vaporeon, Flareon, Jolteon. I was always a Jolteon guy. That's one of the big decisions you get to make in the game. And yeah, Jolteon, that was my jam. That's who I went with. I I, I think because I wasn't a a big Pikachu guy, again, because I, you know, until yellow, I guess. And I don't, I don't know if you made him write you. Did you ever make him write you? No, no, you don't make him write you. Come on, like even in the even in the cartoon, this was something I was going to bring up later. You know, there's that whole episode where you know Ash wants him to evolve to write you. No, man, I, I didn't go write you. I mean, I, maybe I got another Pikachu and maybe evolved him just to like complete the Pokedex or 
maybe even just got a Raichu on his own somewhere. I'm not sure, but I mean, the main Pikachu, no, I, I left him. I left him the way he was. Yeah, I was the same way with that. Oddly enough, when I was talking with my neighbor, and this was just a few days ago, he said, what is this Pokemon? And I said, I, you know, I have no idea. And he said, oh, it's a lower level Raichu. And I was like, "Is it, that's a Pikachu, right? And he's like, no, it's a, it's whatever. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm an original. I'm an OG. I hate this new, you know, all these new Pokemon. I hate this concept. I, I don't know why they do it. I'm against it. I don't know if you had thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm more or less uh, with you on that one as far as just just being indifferent to the ones that come after the the originals. Uh, I do know from playing, um, this, again, this is a little bit out of order, but like um, I do know from playing uh, Pokemon Go, some of the, the newer ones, I think at some point there was something called a Pichu. Pichu. That is like a pre-Pikachu. And then it goes to Raichu. But that didn't exist in the originals. Pikachu was just like a, a base Pokemon in the original. And I I don't really see any reason to change that. I mean, why, why, why add a pre-evolution to Pikachu? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I was a purist with that as well. So I, I played Pokemon Go and I played Pokemon Sword and Shield as well. And yeah, anytime I could go back to the originals, I did. If I had to use one of the newer ones, I did. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't connect with that. They're not canon to me. I just, I just ignore them completely as much as I can. Give me the Machamps. Give me the Gastlies. With regard to the game, this is probably the first game I ever played that was, it was kind of. You know, it set the stage for a lot of the other grindy games that I would play. So this game was very grindy in the sense that you wanted to try different Pokemon and see their different evolutions and see their different strengths, see which one was beneficial. And so that was, it was fun. I mean, it was fun just to go and play and grind it out, try different combinations, etc. And I loved experimenting with that. Did, did you find yourself doing that? Well, I think the nature of the game is that it sort of encourages you to explore because in, if, if you have any kind of that completionist type of bug or mentality where it bothers you to have empty spots in the Pokedex, you want to go out and explore and wander around and try to figure out how to find the missing ones. And I think that leads you to explore uh, and to experiment a decent amount. Um, different combinations of Pokemon. And then sometimes, you know, you'd go to a gym and then depending on, because like one of the main elements of the game is going to the gyms in the various towns and defeating the trainers. And you would go into a gym and, you know, they were all themed to a particular type of Pokemon and many, and at least most of them were. And to me, I, I sort of wanted to bring that up because first to answer your question yeah, I mean, sometimes you might even have to change up your lineup depending on what type of gym leader you were going up against. So that that led to more experimentation. But the thing that I was wondering, if you're a gym leader, okay, why would you advertise to the world that, okay, I only use water Pokemon or I only use rock Pokemon? That's an insane thing to do because if... You, if you, you know, maybe don't know this or forgot about it, you know, in Pokemon, there's this whole system of strengths and weaknesses of types against each other. So if you're like the leader of this water gym, then like everybody knows if they come at you with electric Pokemon, 
it's like game over. I mean, I, I don't understand why you would do that, but that seems to be in Pokemon, often you'll come up against opponents that are not just the gym leaders, sometimes just random opponents that are all themed to a particular type of Pokemon. I mean, that's that's not a winning strategy. I don't, yeah, I, I see that, but I don't think it was all about a winning strategy. I think it was twofold. I think I thought of it, number one, as like a position, right? As if there are these badges that have to be fulfilled and someone has to do it. And if you're going to do it, you have to be a part of this faction. So if you're going to be the, you know, the water leader, you got to have water Pokemon. Plus, geographically, I could see why you'd be restricted to certain Pokemon. Obviously, if you're by a beach and water and that's where you're at, maybe you only have a certain amount of Pokemon that you can get kind of like a commodity of whatever resource you have available to you in the geographic region you're in. So I saw that as well. And yeah, I don't know that it benefited them necessarily. It kind of restricted them, but it allowed them to fulfill a role. And so, you know, I remember with Brock, you know, he was, he was the rock leader, right? He was the rock gym leader and he had to have, you know, his Onyx and Geodude, but he lived in that gym, in that region, assuming of course he's fulfilling a role and maybe they're paying him money. You know, maybe they're paying him a salary to do that role. And he only has a certain amount of Pokemon to pick with. And he's doing that role, and he's doing it because... His good-for-nothing father left the family to become a Pokemon trainer, and they never heard from him again. And he's there with these Pokemon, and he wants to be, you know, if you know Brock, he wanted to be a Pokemon master. Ash, I want you to take this and fulfill my dream. But he couldn't because he had all these kids to take care of, his, his brothers and sisters and cousins and family, because his father left, and he was the man of the house. And so he had to be there. And so, yeah, maybe he was the rock leader. And so he had to limit himself to just rock Pokemon. And it was the Onyx and the Geodude. And he embraced it and loved it. And so I appreciated that to an extent. That wasn't a huge, huge hurdle for me because I appreciated the fact that, you know, maybe I, you know, we're both government employees. Maybe from that perspective, I could see them filling that role in the Pokemon world. Obviously, it's part of the journey. It's one part of the journey of Pokemon Master, but there's so many more. And they're just fulfilling a role. It was a very eloquent response. I mean, I don't really have much to say to that. I think that uh, I think that you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of like maybe it is like a subsidized, like paid position. Like you know, the Pokemon League. They're like, okay, you we're you're gonna get the stipend to live at the at the gym and to train just these type of Pokemon. I mean, it sounds like a pretty cushy position to me, actually. And um, I guess not everyone has the the liberty to travel the world like Ash Ketchum, you know, and sort of, uh, you know, just go wherever he will. So uh, you mentioned all of Brock's responsibilities and things. So it's interesting for a game that's obviously geared at younger kids, at least when you get into the show in particular, there, there's some there's some deeper themes you can tease out of it too, like you just did. So regarding the items that are available in the game, you get these Pokeballs, right? The Pokeballs you need to catch the Pokemon with, and they're of varying strengths. Eventually you get much better ones like, you know, Ultra Balls and the Master Ball. One thing that was tough for me was to decide when is it worth throwing one of those, especially like the Master Balls, because if I'm remembering correctly, they they were just an instant catch on Master Balls. Did you have a particular 
target that you saved those for or how did you handle that? I have trouble with just in games in general when you get powerful items, but you know that are limited. I feel like I'm always holding on to them, like waiting to use them. And it's hard to pull that trigger sometimes. So, I mean, I don't know if you had a strategy with that. Usually you can use an Ultra Ball. Um, what was good about the game is you could actually throw a ball, and then when the Pokemon escaped, he would still be there. So as long as your Pokemon could take a hit, then maybe you upgrade to the the Master Ball. And how the capture system was designed was it was based on the health of the Pokemon. So you almost wanted to have your weaker Pokemon out there because you wanted to deal only a small amount of damage to slowly reduce the HP to as minimum as you could before throwing it. Master Balls, I mean... I don't, I don't know that I ever use them. You know, I, I did not catch all the Pokemon. I don't remember catching um, outside of Articuno. I don't think I ever, ca- I ever caught Moltres or Zapdos. So maybe, it, maybe that's when I used the Mol- the Master Ball was was for uh, Articuno. But other than that, you could probably get, get away with the with the Ultra Ball. You just got to basically have your strongest Pokemon deal as much as possible, throw some weaker ones in, deal a little bit of damage, and then and then try throwing the Ultra Ball. But yeah, that's the type of the strategy that existed in those games where the Pokemon goes and the sword and shields kind of, you know, they veered away a lot from that because that's, you know, you talk about mathematics and, and more strategy than I think they intended for little children. So I mentioned the grinding of the game. What were your thoughts on the random battle procs that occurred? Because it was, that's a big part of the game because when you try to catch a, a unique or rare Pokemon, you have to go to a certain segment of the world to catch them. But you constantly are running into these random battle procs. It's like Final Fantasy where it's just you randomly interact and it could take 50 different interactions to catch the one you want to get. And then you have that that moment. And that's that might be what you're talking about with the, the Pokeball you use. But you might take 50 random encounters to find the Pokemon you want to catch. Otherwise, you're just running and evading battle. And in Pokemon Go, they actually show the Pokemon in the world. So in Pokemon Go, you can see the Pokemon jumping around. So you can kind of maneuver your character around the actual characters, like King's Bonnie, as we mentioned before. But in the original Pokemon, it was just random procs. I don't know if you thought that was a source of frustration or excitement or how you felt about that. It's complicated because it can be both of those things. I think I lean more toward the side of frustration. I'm not really a big fan of, of random battle situations, uh, even though they were just in every game back in the day. So you kind of had to get used to it. It's one of the reasons that I love Shining Force 2 so much. Uh, the Shining Force series, very few random encounters. If you haven't heard episode five, Sega Genesis, we talk about it a lot in there. I like the way Pokemon Go does it better where you can actually see the Pokemon that you're going to engage. There was that moment of excitement where it's like, oh, I finally saw this one that I want. And then, yeah, sometimes I would end up using higher strength balls, even if the Pokemon even wasn't really that strong, just because I didn't want to have to risk. Because if you throw enough balls at it and it keeps getting out, it will flee eventually. And... That's like devastating whenever that happens, because then you're wandering around in a field for another, you know, half an hour until 
it pops back up again. So yeah, if I could have it that way, that's one thing that I do prefer um, as far as how Pokemon Go handled it. But, you know, random encounters, like they were just bread and butter of games back then. And I think a big part of it was, you know, when you have a limited cartridge, the, the game designers are trying to squeeze as much life out of it as possible. And so they do things like, not really, this isn't so much to Pokemon, but in other games, you know, they will increase the difficulty exponentially to what it probably was intended to be so that it's people take longer playing through it. Or in this case, you have these random encounters, which are, I think, like you mentioned before, just grinding, you know, just like if you're playing Final Fantasy and you have to level up your characters and just keep doing random encounters, you can defeat the boss in the next area. You know, this game didn't so much do that because I would say it's relatively easy as far as the combat goes. But if you're trying to fill that Pokedex, which I also never uh, completed, then you're you're just going around in circles. I mean, for a, for quite some time. Yeah, I never cared to fill the Pokedex, and because there's so, certain Pokemon I just I just didn't like, so I didn't bother. You know, something like. You know, Butterfree, I was like, eh, I don't really care about that Pokemon. And so the last thing I wanted to ask you on the game was with regard to your Elite Eight experience. Because for me, you know, my guys, you know, I had, you know, Gyarados pretty maxed out. Blastoise pretty maxed out. And so it was kind of, I just kind of steamrolled the Elite Eight. Is that what you did? Did you, you know, level your people up with your rare candies and everything? Then go to the Elite Eight or did you kind of just try to fight it and see where you're at and fail and then have to go back and, and redo it. I, I basically did the same thing that you did. <laughs> you get these rare candies that can just give you free level, a free level like on the Pokemon. And I, even though I didn't fill the Pokedex, I think I did enough exploring and just random encounters that, you know, you just level your party up and then you can just plow through the, the eight at the end. And, um, of course, there is also the little side note of uh, Team Rocket, which you have to deal with. I I think I'll hold off on Team Rocket, though, till we get to the show, because there's, there's a lot more to say about them there. So the TV show Pokemon attempted to take the video games and encapsulate them within a TV show. And so the main character in the video games, they encapsulated with the character Ash Ketchum. And again, in the world of Pokemon, you're capturing them, you're training them, you're fighting with them in order to gain prominence within this world of, of Pokemon catching and fighting and training. It was the basics, the main sport at the time, essentially. And so like the game, the show starts with the Pokemon selection in town. Ash ends up being late to the selection. And so he gets the last pick of the Pokemon. And so the last pick is Pikachu. And like Ash, Pikachu is an underdog with, you know, he's a little rougher on the edges He's so bad that Professor Oak, before even giving the option of Ash Ketchum being able to select this Pokemon, gives him some warnings. I think I should warn you, there is a problem with this last one. But here you go. And the series we're talking about, I know there's a bunch, but we're talking about the Indigo League, which covers the original Pokemon. And so the entire show is about Ash's journey to become a Pokemon master. Of course, beginning with Pikachu. And again, this was the show at the time and in school. I was able to watch the episodes right before we left for the day, before I started my day. But you had to be very diligent in watching them. 
The season itself had 80 episodes. And so it was a connected story. If you missed one episode, you missed an episode in the chain. And you could be at a loss indefinitely before you could ever connect with the show. And this was before the internet. So you had no idea what, what episode you missed, what happened in the episode. Pokemon did have a little prelude of, hey, this is what happened in the previous episode. But by and large, if you missed an episode, you were at a loss. And so if you were lucky, you could record on your VCR. But by and large, if you missed an episode, you'd have to try to catch it on the weekends, try to try to fill in the gaps. The, they usually did a pretty good job connecting the weekend show with what the daily shows were running. So I, I have a lot to say about the TV show and how I connected with it. What were your initial thoughts? What were your initial experiences with the TV show? First thing that comes to mind instantly is the theme song. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. Um, the theme song to this, the show is legendary. It, it might be, I mean... You know, we haven't made a list of this yet, but it's it's going to be top tier. I mean, top tier, uh, you know, kid show theme songs. And in particular, uh, it has some really good lines. It really pumps you up. Kind of, um, I don't know, like in some ways it has like a little bit of like a Rocky vibe because it's like this underdog training story. You know, we're going to conquer the world together, essentially. And it's just awesome. Some of the, my favorite lines from the uh, from the theme song, which I will mercifully not sing. You teach me and I'll teach you. It's you and me. I know it's my destiny. You're my best friend in a world we must defend. Some good lines. I mean, that sort of stuff hits me pretty hard. It's, it's a really good. Uh, and so that alone, I think, was just awesome. Really, theme songs are... I mean, you can't overestimate the importance of a good theme song and pulling you in and getting you in the mood for something. And that whole, you know, all, all that stuff that you said about TV in a pre, basically for us, pre-internet, pre-streaming type world, you know, you're working with VCRs. Have you ever tried setting a timer on a VCR? I mean, you will understand the severe anxiety and stress and often disappointment that would occur whenever it somehow didn't work and didn't tape the thing that it was supposed to tape. Catching reruns could be incredibly difficult, and you would just not see something. Like, it, was just, it was just gone. Like It wouldn't come back around for months. That's a thing that just doesn't exist anymore. It's probably a good thing, but in many ways, though, uh, it made the viewing more special. You know, I have to be in front of my TV at this time to see this thing. It's a big event. It's a part of your day, part of your schedule, especially as a kid. I mean, our TV lineup, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would I would plan it out. Yeah, I would have, you'd be looking at the TV guide. You'd be figuring out, okay, what time is this on? When can I catch it? You'd look to see if it was a new episode or, or a repeat. It, you know, it would often tell you in the guide. So, I mean, it, it was a totally different landscape that we, that we were operating in at that time. Aside from the theme song, I think that uh, one of the things that I remember most from it was just Pikachu. As I mentioned before, you know, he was 
my favorite. And a lot of it came from the personality of the Pikachu that was on the cartoon. It sort of translated into how I felt about it in the game. He was just very, he was sort of very contrary. Like the other Pokemon would all go in their balls obediently and follow the normal laws of, of what Pokemon, how they behave. Pikachu, you know, preferred to ride Ash's shoulder or walk along with him or in his backpack. He was sort of just different. He had a cool personality. He loved ketchup. Basically like a little sidekick. Obviously, right, I have to say it, reminds me of having a pet dog. He was basically that sort of like loyal companion. So I was big into Pikachu. Um, the other characters were interesting too. You know, Ash's friends, you have Misty, uh, you have Brock. And then in particular, I was always interested in, of course, our villains. If you might remember from, uh, we talked about the Disney episode, uh, Disney movies. Yeah, I'm always a little bit of a villain guy. And, and in this one, we had none other than Jesse and James, or Team Rocket. And obviously they were normally foiled. And as we know, they would be blasting off again by the end of most episodes. Uh, oh, and of course their um, their mascot Pokemon Meowth as well uh, included That's right. there. So, so you remember them too, I take it. And yeah, it was a good cast, good cast. Um, so overall, great, great cartoon, great anime, I should say. Um, so now that I've gone on for a bit, what were your impressions? Number one, the theme song, that's the GOAT. Greatest of all time. And I'll stand by that. Inspirational, powerful. Man, if that doesn't get you hype, you're dead. The end. Uh, going into the actual show, well, first of all, you mentioned Team Rocket. They were the they were the comedic relief. They were incredibly funny, always thwarted, and brilliantly done. In you mentioned Pikachu and your connection with Pikachu and the relationship with Ash, and I think that's pretty much it's a lot of what the show was because I think the show in general and why I connected with it. I always say it's a zero to hero formula. And so Ash, he sleeps in, misses all the Pokemon. He's kind of, he's grungy, starts from nothing. His parents are like, eh, we, you know, we don't really care about this. And Ash is coming from nothing to become the Pokemon master. He's pursuing his dreams. And here he, he gets Pikachu. And Pikachu, as you said, he's obstinate. He's stubborn. He's rude. He laughs at Ash. And, and the first episode, honestly, really encapsulates a lot of this where Pikachu's laughing at him as, as Ash is trying to start his Pokemon journey. He's got these delusions of grandeur in a lot of ways. And in the first episode, Ash ends up irritating a Spearow. And so Spearow, out of jealousy of Pikachu, because Pikachu is ostensibly the human pet, and Spearow is the orphan. He has no connection. And they the Pokedex essentially articulates that. And so the Spearows go after Pikachu. And so Pikachu gets knocked down, he gets attacked. And so Ash picks him up and carries him and runs away. So far as he jumps into a river in that first episode to save Pikachu. And then when he gets on the beach, that's when he first meets Misty and then <laughs> ends up stealing her bike. But then he, he says, I got to get Pikachu to this hospital because I want to save Pikachu. And so he goes on that bike to take Pikachu to the hospital. And these Spearows chase him. And Ash says, listen, Pikachu, 
go in your Pokeball. I know you're individual. I know you don't want to follow the rules, but the Pokeball is going to keep you safe from the Spearows because they're trying to attack you because they're jealous of you. So go in the Pokeball. In the meantime, he stands up, his hands raised, says, I will protect my Pikachu. I will stand by my Pikachu as the Spearows are coming to him. And what does Pikachu do? He refuses to go in the Pokeball. He jumps on Ash's shoulder and then electrocutes him with his power. He shows he's actually powerful, electrocutes them all. And because of Ash's willingness to sacrifice himself for Pikachu, Pikachu is willing to sacrifice himself for Ash. And from that point on, they've got that bond. And it's it. they made the entire episode just to establish that. And how beautiful is that? I mean, it brings a tear to my eye even now. Like, I mean, that's, that's really, I mean... How many cartoons go to the length of, of that to establish, you know, the relationship between the main character and while well, the main characters, I guess you could say. It's a really powerful opening. I mean, that's something that the show delivers a lot. Like we talked about that other, you know, later on, whenever he wants Pikachu to evolve into Raichu. That's another emotional episode. They really worked on that relationship is the central theme to the show, which is probably what takes it beyond simply just being an adaptation of the game. I think that that relationship is what makes it's it's what makes the anime have it kind of stand on its own because you first experienced the anime. So, I mean, that's a whole different way of, of sort of coming into it. Absolutely. And I think when the games came first, I think, it's probably some of the stories, maybe the people playing it, they maybe imagine certain stories. And so the show gave them a set one to kind of apply. And that's why it really hit with me because I could say, oh yeah, I know the show. I'm going to apply the show's X, Y, and Z to my experience. Whereas before with the game, the player was left to it. And as much as that episode hit me, the one that still gets me to this day, I'll still cry at this episode is Pikachu's goodbye. And this is to me the most, oh, it just hits hard. So Ash decides to leave Pikachu and he leaves Pikachu's because Pikachu is exposed to a forest of Pikachu's like him, people he can connect with that are like him in, in look and experience. Cause they're all Pikachu's. I mean, there's a bunch of little Pikachu's flying around. And so Ash says, okay, he must want to be with them. You know, he, he didn't want to be my pet, right? But then it quotes a pet. He wanted to be with his people. And Ash thought of, of Pikachu maybe as his pet. Pikachu never thought of him as that. Pikachu always thought of himself as Ash's friend. And so Ash runs away. Pikachu pursues him. He chases him because he loves him for who he is. He never cared that he was. A, he never thought of himself as a pet. They were friends. They were family. And then there's a song that goes on in the background. You're the part of And I'll edit it to show that song, but it's such a, I mean, it is such a powerful song 
and Pikachu ends up choosing Ash, not his family. Ash was never somebody who took Pikachu from his family, from his people. Ash was himself a benefit to Pikachu. He was himself a, a, a person, a friend, individual of that. He was never a captor. He was never a, an owner. He was family. And so Pikachu at the end, he decides to follow Ash and the whole Pikachu family is cheering him on. It's such a beautiful scene. And I'm sure as a, as a pet owner, especially, you got to connect with that. You got to connect with, with, with Obi being with you and, and your family versus being with other dogs and got to connect with that as you offer Obi a unique family. That's a unique family. You're not taking him from other dogs or whatever the scenario is. You're his own family. And that's, that's that episode to me. That's why it, it brought, it continues to bring a tear to my eye. And I would love to hear your perspective of that episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that one. Cause that, that was really the only one that I had noted that I wanted to mention. And it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough to even talk about it because it's like so emotional. I mean, in a good way though, it really does you kind of said a lot of it already. It represents that that relationship. And often when we talk to when my wife and I talk to our dog, like we 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 don't even like we don't even refer to him as a dog. Like we we talk about him as our kid or our baby or our you know buddy or our best friend or whatever. And sometimes when we talk, uh, we, we sort of will do like his voice of like what he's thinking or like what he would say in the moment and a lot of times we imagine that he's probably thinking like oh he's not a dog like like i'm not a dog i'm like a person like you you know like that's sort of how i imagine he probably thinks of things and i think that's what's happening in this episode with pikachu where just because these other pikachus look like him it's just not his family you know it sort of goes to the idea of of kind of like an adopted family really. And that it's really not about, well, where did you come from? Or like, you know, what do you look like? Or those sorts of things. And I think anytime you have like a, a cross species relationship, like, you know, humans with dogs or cats, like you can see that happening as well as probably within, you know, human families that, ha that have that sort of idea of adoption and, and are created through more of like, choice than by blood and I, I think that that can can kind of be more powerful in some ways yeah it's it that episode is a masterpiece another episode i wanted to, i wanted to bring up because it, it it kind of follows again the basic tenant is ash he's on his journey he's becoming a pokemon master in order to do that he must capture pokemon but they do such a good job developing the pokemon and so one of them, I mentioned Charizard was my favorite. So Charmander's origin story with Ash. Charmander! Char! Is he had an abusive owner. And it's it's such a powerful episode because the owner's abusive, but Charmander still nevertheless trusts him because he's his owner. And he believes he'll, he'll love him no matter what. And so he's left outside and it's raining. And Charmander, it demonstrates his tail is his life force. And so as the rain is falling, his flame is dying. And Charmander does not leave because he knows his owner will come. He knows his owner is going to come 
but his honor won't. And Charmander would die until Ash comes. And so Ash saves him from his abusive owner. And that's Charmander's origin story. I mean, it's it's not just, hey, here's Charmander. We're going to reduce his health to a certain amount and throw a Pokeball and catch him. It's Charmander is trusting an abusive owner to the point of death. And here's Ash needing to save him. That's another one that is um, like too close to reality um, because obviously I could I could get into a whole thing here, which I think I'll spare us from. But um, I'm sure people can see the parallels between like real life, you know, animal. Real, I don't even want to say pets, but like you know, real life, you know, dogs and cats and you know other types of fur babies, if you will, and how they are loyal to a fault. And that's often will lead to those kinds of situations. So that's getting into, I mean, you know, I said before that the Pikachu's goodbye was getting into some deep issues. It's one that's, I mean, that's honestly difficult to watch. It's very, it's very close to to life, close to home, close to reality. And it's interesting that they decided to put so much personality and heart into the show because it could have easily just been a cash grab. It could have just been, we have this hit game series. Let's just kind of throw something out there and they'll watch it no matter what because it says Pokemon on it. But instead they decided to make it not just a quality show, but a, a, you know, a, a high class master level show with a lot of, a lot of uh, lessons and themes. And that's a thing that I always appreciate. And I still believe we've talked about this many times is missing from programming now that lessons aren't and these real life metaphors and parallels aren't at the heart of them. And that's to the detriment of everybody and also to the writing and just to the quality of, of, of entertainment today. I mean, we could go on and on about like, there's so many great episodes and themes here, uh, but just generally, was there anything else that really stuck out to you about the show? Um, maybe even, there's anything, you know, not even in the realm of seriousness, but just in general. Well, how awesome would that be to go back to the different episodes and kind of deep dive the different meanings behind them? And I would love to do that. But in general, every episode, I mean, again, I mean, they are fun. I know we've talked about a lot of the seriousness of it, but they are fun in general. And so for me, what sticks out is the poker rap. We got to rap some Pokemon. You just do the singing. I'll take care of the hard part. Let's get it on. I want to be the best that ever was to beat all the rest. Yeah, that's my call. I loved them. And the one I remember, even to this day, I'll still sing it, is, you know, at, at the end of the episodes, they'll say, hey, let's do the poker rap. And they'll go, the one I remember was Electro, Diglett, Nidoran, Mankey, Venusaur, Rotata, Fero, Pidgey, Sea King, Jolteon, Dragonite, Ghastly, Ponyta, Vaporeon, Polyrath, Butterfree. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the, that's my poker rap that I remember. Did you have a different memory? No, of I, <laughs> no I think that's the one I would have thought of too. But I, I honestly, when you did it, I remembered it, but I, I can't, I couldn't have remembered it like word for word. That was pretty good. Yeah, it's. That's the one I stuck to, right? That's the one I stuck to. I probably loosely remember uh, you know, several of the other ones. And then the other thing they did in the episode was the Who's that Pokemon? Where you had to guess 
the different Pokemons. Now, when I was a kid, it was kind of cool because I didn't know them all yet. I feel like I probably get them all, and I kind of want to do a segment on our Instagram about it. See if see if our listeners know who the different Pokemon are. But I feel like I could probably be like ninety percent right on a lot of them. I agree. I, I think that it, it would work differently now having all these years experience with 150 but it would be fun to post some and to sort of see if people know especially if there are any younger listeners that maybe didn't grow up with the originals and see if they because that makes me wonder then like are the are the originals generally the ones that everybody knows or do people kind of jump in where they jump in and then maybe they have a different frame of reference of which Pokemon to them stand out. So it could be interesting to see if, if people all are on the same page with some of these originals. Now, as if the Game Boy game and the uh, anime weren't enough, (laughs) Pokemon of course branched out into essentially like every facet of existence at the, at this point in time. And One other area was the card game. I was big into the card game for a time. I had a friend in this time period, because this is sort of like around like the middle school era for me when a lot of this was happening. So I had a friend that was really into it as well and actually helped to get me into the card game. And just a little bit of a rundown on how that works. It's pretty much just... Pokemon fighting each other. Uh, The Pokemon have abilities listed on the card, and they need a certain amount of energy to cast these different abilities that they have. Now, you could only attach one energy card per turn, so you would have to build up over turns as it went back and forth your ability to do more powerful attacks. And you only had one active Pokemon at a time. The others were all sort of on a bench, and they were waiting for that active one to get knocked out to then go into the combat. And, of course, just like with the the game, uh, the the video game, the strengths and weaknesses were a major part of the strategy because you did more or less damage based off of those relationships between things like water and lightning or whatever else it happened to be. Generally, you were working with a 60-card deck. You know, this was a um, collectible card game. So, of course, like many of these types of games, yes, it came down to strategy, but it also often came down to how much money you had and how many different booster packs and how lucky you were when you opened those booster packs uh, that, that you happened to be. Uh, you know, there, there were also evolution cards that you could play onto a basic Pokemon, and those were always highly prized. There were card shops that would just sell the cards individually at high prices for the ones that were you know sought after and were some that were rare. Uh, and so, because of all of that, this is a thing that that seems to often be the case with these collectible card games. If you were into Magic or any other types at this time you know the story, you know how it goes. (laughs) So for someone like me, who, as we've established, had limited resources for this sort of thing, you have the cards that you have, you don't always have the ability to get the ones that are really sought after. That being said, it was still a lot of fun playing amongst friends. 
I'm curious, did you play the game? And if so, what's your experience with it? Of course I played the game. <laughs> I'm a big TCG guy. I played Magic the Gathering very regularly at the time the Pokemon came out. So I was kind of a natural. I will say I liked in Pokemon that you'd have a specific Pokemon and you'd, you'd build around him with energy cards. So it was kind of like an RPG in a lot of ways where you were the Pokemon trainer using your abilities and whatever to equip your Pokemon that you liked and you could fight the enemy with that. And it's a li- that's a little different from MTG, Magic the Gathering, because in Magic the Gathering, you're the character. You're the planeswalker. You're the one doing everything. And the creatures you control end up recovering all their HP at the end of every turn. And so what I liked about Pokemon was you kind of stacked with the little bees, the, the health on your Pokemon. And that was kind of a new thing. And I, I remember playing WoW, uh, World of Warcraft, trading card game, and Hearthstone. They kind of implemented the element of having a character, having a hero, having that hero take damage. But each hero was unique and had unique abilities and would take damage. And again, that's a little different from Magic the Gathering. But you started to see that at this time. I remember, you know, Warcraft 3 where you, you know, an RTS game where you had a hero with unique powers leading his army. So this was kind of along the theme of like you're an RPG, you're playing a certain character and you could change a character. Whereas an MTG, you're kind of playing a certain uh, mana, you know, whether or not you were black or green or blue versus playing an actual character from a certain show. That's what I connected with. Now, the actual TCG itself, it was very natural for me to play this given the fact that, and I started at ice age and magic of the gathering around fourth, you know, third and fourth grade. And so this was a very natural progression for me, having played the game, having watched the show. And I would say it's a, another defining moment with Pokemon. It's equal to honestly, the game and show in my mind, it had some RNG elements, random number generation, which I didn't really appreciate, you know, coin flips and whatnot, especially with a lot of the psychic Pokemon, but it was just a fun game. Honestly, I never, I'm a very competitive player. I never really got competitive with this game. It was just fun. And I remember being, I distinctly remember being in seventh grade playing this game with my friends. And it was mostly about trading and collecting and showing each other, you know, your binders and whatnot and saying, hey, this is the card I have. You want to trade it with me? You couldn't really play this competitively because Magic the Gathering, you could go, you and I could go to a a Pro Tour qualifier now and we'd fit in. I mean, we would be normal. We'd be fine. And Pokemon, they're 10-year-olds. They're 8-year-olds. It's kids. I mean, it's not a competitive game. It's clearly fun. And you'd stand out completely. And so I remember I did play a Fossil Tournament. And even then, I was kind of out of place. I was like, I, I'm too old to be here at that age, let alone now. But it was a very fun, collective game. And we traded. I mean, did you engage that with your friends, trading at all in school? Yeah, trading was, uh, you know, a major pastime for a while there. And yeah, you mentioned the binders. You have your binder with with the sleeves to hold the cards. One thing that I I will mention, did did you ever go to, or maybe it was just local to me, I don't know, but at at the Toys R Us that was closest to my house, they did have a Pokemon League uh, where basically you could go in and you could, they had like this area in the middle of the store 
where all the kids would gather and you could make trades and play each other and you gain points or something. I, I can't remember exactly for completing trades or winning matches and different things like that. I know I went at least a, a few times with my friend I mentioned before with um, with my cousin at least once or twice. And that was probably the extent of like any real, and of course this wasn't like a real tournament or anything, but this was the closest to any type of competitive play beyond with friends that I really came to with it. Did, did you know about anything like that? The only thing I did, it might have been similar, but it was in the middle of a KB Toys, and they don't exist anymore. But yeah, I was in the middle of a mall. You know, I remember being dropped off and going in with the fossil release, and they even had play mats for us to use, which was super legit. I think it was that where it was kind of like, hey, get together, unpack your fossils. You know, the adults would come in and probably try to rip you off. And yeah, you played. I honestly don't remember if it was like a super competitive tournament necessarily, but that was a good vibe. I had a good time, but I remember the placemats and playing games with other kids, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the placemats, dude. I I think we had the placemats as well, and that was it. Made you feel like this was the big time, <laughs> man. KB Toys, just just real quick, like R.I.P. And if you live in America, anyway. Uh, yeah, I know, I know a good number of our listeners are from Canada and, and I guess really we need to give you guys a shout out. Uh, we appreciate the international support there. Um, but I, you know, I know you guys still have your Toys R Us up there and I am very, very jealous about that. I did recently hear that Toys R Us was making like some sort of a comeback in the U S but not necessarily as like full locations like i heard that they were putting portions of like macy's in different department stores we're gonna have like toys r us stuff in them i don't know how that's going but to have that the legit toys r us store i mean that's man that you guys don't know how lucky you are no that's peak 90s man that's peak 90s and now it's it's kind of morphed into the people going to toys r us to buy different things to resell it online and whatnot unfortunately so I wish there was a way to kind of remedy that because, yeah, nothing beats being able to meet people in the natural setting, play your game, trade. I mean, I remember trading. I had no idea what the value of the cards really were. I just, I you know, you liked a certain Pokemon and, and you traded. And now it's, you know, now people would, would bring out their cell phones and look up the price of the cards and say, oh, my, my card's worth $40 and your card's worth $20. So I don't want that. And that's not a good vibe. I mean, that's not fun or, or exciting. You might as well, again, just do a third-party merchant online or something. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these um, these eBay sales that are happening with original Pokemon cards selling for tons of money and everything, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm into collecting, like, as far as w w with video games to an extent, I, I, but at a certain point, it just loses the fun. And what point is there to, to dropping hundreds of dollars on a Pokemon card online? Like, that's not, it's not something I'm into. Now, being in the real life situation, and yeah, in those days when we didn't have smartphones and you were kids, so you didn't know anyway, and nobody really knew what things were worth. And at that time, they might not have even really had much of a value yet at that time, um, you know, unless it was like an ultra rare type card or something but 
I think that that's the, the collecting, the trading, that was a big fun of it. I mean, that's why it's a collectible card game. But yeah, making it about money, I mean, that's that's obviously something that came a lot later. Um, unless, of course, you were one of those card shop owners who, of course, had the glass cases and were charging top dollar, you know, for those top tier Pokemon and everything. That did still exist back in the day. But for the most part, yeah, it was just kids having fun trading with their friends or with other kids in these random meetups. It's kind of funny how easy it was to just meet up with random kids back in the day. And all that mattered was that you both played Pokemon. You know, <laughs> I, 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 you can't just you can't meet people like that anymore today. Well, I'm glad you have a, uh, a fond memory of that. Because I, I don't in some ways. Now, I did mention the KB Toys story, and that, that was the end of it. Because I did have a Pokemon binder, and it was an amazing Pokemon binder. I mean, it was a custom Pokemon binder. It had Pokemon on it. It was made by the company. It had beautiful pictures, beautiful colors. I was super excited about it. it had my entire collection in there until one day it disappeared. It went away. It vanished. My entire Pokemon collection went away. And you may be saying, you know, Paul, what happened to it? Well, I didn't know. People in my neighborhood played Pokemon. And I brought my binder out on occasion to discuss Pokemon cards and trade and whatnot. And so when my Pokemon binder vanished one day, I had questions about where it went. And the only people I could think about to blame were my neighbors because, you know, my neighborhood kids, I knew they played Pokemon. They knew what cards I had. They knew, I knew they wanted them. And so I had to blame them, right? That was the only people I could think to blame. Logically. And so I literally typed out a letter and I posted it on their front doors and said, listen, I know my Pokemon binder was stolen. I don't know who did it, but please return it to my home. Drop it off my front door. If it's there, no questions will be asked. Nothing further will happen. And guess what happened? Nothing. No one did anything. And so then I went door to door with my mom to try to find out from the parents if they knew what had happened to my Pokemon binder. Because again, it's a very distinctive binder. It was a Pokemon exclusive binder. None of them said anything about the binder. And I was devastated. Well, these are the same people that stiffed you on your uh, on your paper route. Like these are, <laughs> these are the same neighbors that were like <laughs> hiding from a 10 year old. <laughs> So I, think I grew up in the projects or something. This was a, you know, this is a, you know, a suburb in, in a cul-de-sac. I mean, this shouldn't have been some, <laughs> some gangbanger neighborhood with Pokemon cards. But apparently, I, I mean, I'm just saying like there were some shady behaviors that happened re- relating to the paper route. So yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't like any of them. I didn't like any of them. And so I, that's why I suspected them. And they had known my, I had a binder. They had known I collected the cards. So I was like, it's gotta be them. Right. And that was it. I I heard nothing. And decades went by. Decades went by. And then I got a resolution. And so we had mentioned before about the amazing kindness of my sister with Majora's Mask and what she had done. But it wasn't just a tale of generosity. It was also a tale of redemption. Turns out she nonchalantly, and this is only five plus years ago, not that long ago. She acknowledged she gave my binder to the neighborhood kids. She brought it out and gave it to them. Wait, no. 
<laughs> Wait, no. How, how did this happen? Why did I, this happen? What was it? What was her reasoning? Why did she, she do that? She had no remorse about it. She just said it was a fact. And everyone in the house knew this was the biggest moment of my life at the time that I was devastated losing my cards. And I don't have an explanation for it. I'm assuming I, you know, I know as a younger sister, she, she felt some jealousy that we weren't hanging out with her and we didn't give her attention. And so she lashed out in certain situations. Maybe this was one of them, but yeah, she literally took my binder and gave it to the neighborhood kids. So and even today, I, she's unapologetic. I, I think if I had pressed her on it, maybe, <laughs> but I was so in shock. Right. I said, are you, I mean, I was like, this, is, this was the biggest moment in my life as a kid. And you're just bringing this out now? I mean, I, I was just in shock and disbelief. Oh and I'm assuming the more George mask maybe was a quid quo pro in her mind. I'm not sure. But my entire, yeah, my entire Pokemon collection, gone. But the mystery is solved. That that is that that is a devastating turn of events. And she's the last person I would have suspected. I thought for sure it was one of your brothers, either your older one or your younger one. I, I didn't think that there was any chance that it was your sister. I mean, she's the le- the one you would least expect. Correct. I mean, I, in retrospect, it makes the most sense because I I wouldn't have left the binder out, and so they didn't break into my house. So who would bring the binder out but the the younger sister yearning for attention? And she was out playing, and they brought it up, and they probably just asked her, like, hey, bring out the binder. And if you do that, we'll give you adoration. And she said, okay. And that, that was probably it. I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't, and I don't want to press about it because I'm so devastated, and I don't even want to think about it. But that's the story of my my Pokemon collection, by and large, you know, I obviously have, you know, after that, I then built built it back up somewhat. But yeah, pretty devastating story, of course. Man, I take it that uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast. And she might, she might. So <laughs> she might be, she might be on, uh, might be on the top of the mountain from Majora's Mask, and then maybe brought down from this. But she, you know, she did redeem herself, and again, she was a little. So I, I, you know, I forgive her to the extent that she's sorry. But you're you're yeah, a forgiving person. I don't know if I'm that big. I mean, I thankfully did not have a. I did not have a foil Charizard. Thankfully, I did not have a first edition foil Charizard. Okay, well, that makes it a little better. But still, <laughs> that stings. That that's bad. That that's not the only story I have in my family with regard to Pokemon. Okay, wait. So is this is this another? Well, you know what? Just go ahead. We'll find out. Just 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 hit hit us with it. This is how big Pokemon was in my life, man. This is this is how big it was. So we have the tale of the Venusaur, and again, uh, you know, we've is, talked Doc, about is Doctor Vink in this episode? Tim? No, but Sardo in the oh, form oh. of my older brother, who, as we know uh, from Majora's Mask, is a, is a swindler. He's okay. a wheeler, wheeler and dealer. Okay. And in this case, thankfully, it was not me that was swindled. It was my younger brother who, and. So my older brother, when we got Magic the Gathering cards, he would he would leer over us when we unpacked our cards, if we got good cards, and I've lost some to, to his swindling. He would demand the card, and not, not explicitly, but he would say, hey, this is a good deal. This is a good deal, and he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop. He would keep pushing and pushing and pushing until we accepted because, hey, you know, we're tired of being badgered about it, and we want our, we want our older brother back. And it would work. And so I've done it before, but 
my younger brother in this case unpacked a foil Venusaur. And I remember being in the room when he did it. It was epic. And my older brother, he wanted it. He wanted it bad. And I don't know what terms of the, the deal were, but lo and behold, guess who got the Venusaur? Older brother. And it was so bad. And my younger brother was so bitter about it. We incorporated it into the roast portion of our toast at his wedding. That's how big it was. That's how much bitterness there was behind it that we had to bring it up because it was so funny. And yeah, that's so the, the, the tale of the foil Venusaur and it's, I mean, it's a hundred hour card. It's not anything big, thankfully, but it, you know, thankfully it wasn't a charge or something like that, but I, I think that's not, that's funny, but that's how important and integral Pokemon cards were in our, in our family's life, at least. But but as a kid, like a foil, I mean, that's that's like gold. Wow, I, I would love to know what he traded for it. But yeah, a, fo- a foil of the big three. So the big three were Blastoise, Venusaur, and Charizard. And again, you mentioned before not knowing the value. There's no way of knowing what Venusaur was worth versus Charizard. I mean that that wasn't known until you know several years later. But it was a big three, so it was assumed it was of equal value to any of those big three. Those those were the ones that you wanted. Oh, definitely. I would have never traded that to anyone. That's <laughs> devastating. Like that's. I mean, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he traded that. What was he, he thinking? Probably, he probably got a bunch of crap, honestly. Oh my a bunch god, of crap. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I know he's so bitter about it, and yeah. I think. I think he ended up leaving it at the house because he left. So he left all his magic cards at the house. Wow! And I w- and I was kind because mom was going to throw everything away. Wow! And so I went to the house and I saved his binder, his magic binder. Whoa. His magic binder is worth like several thousand dollars now. Jeez, man! But I I asked him like, hey, could I you know sell this? I'll give you eighty percent of the profits or something, mm. something like that. And he said, no, I want the binder. So I was like, okay, well you left it here for like yeah. 10 years and you didn't come back and get it. But yep. Okay, fine. I'll leave it for you. Wow. So that concludes my epic discussion of the, the power of Pokemon TCG in my life. Were there any other, there's a ton of miscellaneous things about Pokemon besides the show game and cards that exist. Did you have anything else about Pokemon that connected with you? So later on uh, when the Nintendo 64, you know, was more of a, of a thing that I had access to, because of course, you know, at first I didn't just due to not having one, although I did have some friends with systems. Pokemon definitely was a big element of that system. I didn't really play because, uh, you know, Pokemon Stadium was one of the 64 games. There was Pokemon Snap. And also what I'm going to really focus on is that some of the Pokemon characters appeared in Super Smash Brothers, the original game. I think it's a little bit strange, first of all, that Super Smash Brothers was called Super Smash Brothers instead of something like Smash Brothers 64, because pretty much every game on Nintendo 64 was da 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 64, and Super was normally Super Nintendo. If you look at Super Nintendo, almost all those games are Super whatever. So I thought that was a little bit weird with the naming, but basically, you know, in Smash Brothers, you just have Nintendo characters fighting each other and it's just a beat them up, you know, type of situation, well, a brawler type of situation. And there were two Pokemon that were playable characters there. You had Jigglypuff. Jigglypuff! 
and Pikachu. Pikachu, obviously. I don't know why they picked Jigglypuff as the second playable character. He would sing a song that would put other characters to sleep. Uh, as well as having other abilities, but uh, some other Pokemon did make appearances because uh, you could throw Pokeballs that were dropped into the level at other characters, and then Pokemon would erupt out of them and have different effects. But that just goes to show you in a very short amount of time how deep into the culture Pokemon had gone because they were now included in this big Nintendo mashup game that had, you know, characters that from forever ago, like Link and Mario and Donkey Kong, and now you're throwing in Pokemon, which at the time were relatively new. So that they were a huge, just, just cultural hit immediately. Now, I think that you played some of the other 64 games. So which one did you have memories of? With regard to the 64 games, I played, I played Pokemon Stadium and Snap. And I loved both of them. So Pokemon Stadium was cool because you could actually import in your Game Boy characters into the Pokemon Stadium. And Pokemon Stadium made it 3D, which is really cool. So it brought a lot of life to some of your favorite characters and gave them, you know, unique fighting scenarios. And it was just it was just in general fun to see the characters you had spent so much time leveling up on a new stadium in a new area, new arena in 3D. And doing cool stuff. So that was a pretty limited game, but for that perspective, coming, you know, if you had really developed characters from the Game Boy version and you could connect it to a Stadium, that would be a fun experience. Pokemon Snap, honestly, it's just a good chill game. I mean, it's you literally just take pictures. I mean, that's basically what it is. And it was just fun and relaxing. You had different missions, and it was based, you know, they had a point system based on the framing in the rarity of the Pokemon. And then also each Pokemon basically would be doing a unique dance or something, you know, an animation of some sort. So if you could also catch them in the middle of their animation, you get more points. And then you, you'd be able to pick certain pictures you liked, keep them and, and you'd get scored based on that. So that was a really fun game and very different from the other Pokemon games, but really fun in terms of just relaxing, having a good time, seeing different Pokemon and trying to get them in the best frame possible. And I got to go one step further into this miscellaneous category with the movie. Have, have, did you ever watch the movie, the original movie? Believe it or not, I did not see the original movie. What did I miss? So the, the first movie was literally called Pokemon the First Movie. But yeah, I just remember being super excited about, about that because they're giving away these promo cards of Mew versus Mewtwo. And this was at the peak of my collection day. So I was super excited about it. And I think it got a Mew. Honestly, I don't even remember. I don't have it anymore. So I, I'm not sure what it was. They're not even worth a lot of money. But that's kind of what brought me in. And again, I was a huge TV show fan. So I was like, oh, I got to see this movie. But the second thing I remember most about it was not even the movie itself, but the soundtrack. I actually own the soundtrack, the physical disc. And I would play that on loop on my Discman, you know, the old Discmans you'd put CD in with your headphones and whatnot. And we haven't talked about this, but I was a huge pop guy, especially 90s pop. 
I remember borrowing Britney Spears' album from my friend in grade school. I owned Millennium from BSB, Backstreet Boys, and No Strings Attached from NSYNC. You could put a 90s pop list. I probably know 95% of those things. That's for a different episode, but I was a huge pop guy, and this Pokemon soundtrack hit pretty hard. So M2M had Don't Say You Love Me. And Aaron Carter had his hit song, Fun With The Funk. These are both bangers. They hit today. Go listen to them on YouTube. So yeah, I played that on loop on my Walkman. So good. I, I will say on the movie, it is kind of emotional at the end because essentially Mew and Mewtwo have this final battle at the end. And they all have clones of different Pokemon. So the clones are all fighting each other. And the Pikachus, you know, the, the Ash's Pikachu refuses to fight back because he's a he's a pacifist. And it's really cute because he keeps getting slapped and he refuses to hit back. And then ultimately Mew and Mewtwo, they connect their beams in this big fight. They're basically going to destroy the world from their fight. This epic battle. And then Ash throws himself in between the lasers. He throws himself in between the battle. And he's petrified. He turns to stone from it, and everyone's silent. And here comes Pikachu. He jumps in, emotional. And what does he do? He starts electrifying Ash. Now, this has multiple meanings. Number one, in the show, Ash gets electrified by Pikachu, and he always does this. It's kind of like an Egyptian pose where he gets zapped, and he's like, eh, you know, he gets zapped. But the second part of that, as an adult, of course, is it's a defibrillator. He's trying to revive Ash from death, right? And then Pikachu starts crying because Ash doesn't respond to that. Pikachu starts crying in that. So it's super emotional movie at the end. And again, go watch it. It's heart-wrenching. Obviously, everything works out in the end. But that to me, you know, that ending is what really what sticks out about the movie. But that was my experience. And I think that's honestly, in terms of ancillary Pokemon. I know you mentioned before, we talked a little bit about the Pokemon Go and Sword and Shield. So I did play both of those. My impression of them was really they were, I know Pokemon's a kid's game. I think they really, really designed it for kids. So I didn't really connect with it as much. I feel like maybe I connect more with even the older Game Boy games versus today. So I don't know what your opinions were on those games. Um, I know you said Pokemon Go. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, I did try um, Sword and Shield. I had I had Sword, and I couldn't get into it. It was like like you said, it was too handholdy. A lot of the newer Pokemon, I'm just not that interested in. And I played it for a while, but I just sort of abandoned it. Um, but Pokemon Go, I I was into for for a couple of years, and it was actually a lot of fun. It was mainly. To be honest, I mean, a fun way to exercise. It's like an excuse to go out and like walk around. Um, I remember in the summer uh, following its launch that you know, my wife and I would play it together. We would just sort of go walk around the area and just catch Pokemon. And you'd have to go to these different locations because there were these uh, these Poke stops you would go to to get items because you had to get things like more pokeballs or potions and then there were also locations that were gyms where you could fight uh stronger pokemon and get rewards from doing that 
And it was actually, I think, a really good system. It's that whole augmented reality idea that, you know, you're out there in the real world and you're looking at your phone and, and seeing the Pokemon, like, in the real world. And I think that was a kind of a cool idea. I know there are some people that are still hardcore into it. And, I mean, they've been they've been going for years at this point. It was nice in the sense of something that you could do, especially with, like in my case, it was with my wife, but I know a lot of people played with their friends or um, probably a lot of, I imagine, like parents and kids probably were playing it because, like you said, it was really accessible and easy to do. And yeah, I appreciate the fact, that idea of like gamifying regular activities make you more likely to do them. So if you need to get exercise, if you need to go out and walk, I mean, if you can gamify it, that that's an incentive for a lot of people. Um, so I, I think overall, I mean, I definitely approve. And when it launched, they, they just really had your basic 150. Eventually they added more in, but it was nice to sort of go back to that core group at the start. And, um, I think that's one of the things that was so addictive about it for me. I do need to clarify when I, when I was thinking of Pokemon go, I was thinking of let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee those games. I actually have no experience with Pokemon go, but I do remember it being the biggest thing. I remember the service crashing and everyone going in. And honestly, I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of cool concept of being able to do it. And I love, yeah, I love the idea of, incorporating exercise and, and exploration with Pokemon. I mean, that's what Pokemon originally was about in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I did have like, since, so you said you were thinking about, you know, let's go Pikachu. And I did play that on the switch and I actually played it the whole way through. For me, it was basically a nostalgia trip because it was going back to the original game and uh, it had this neat, like extra, like Pokeball attachment that you could buy so that when you were throwing quote, like throwing your Pokeball, you would use this extra, like it was essentially a different controller. It was a Pokeball controller that you could use to play the game. And that was a neat little hook to kind of draw you into the experience to give it that, uh, that physical feel like you were actually throwing the ball at the creature at the Pokemon and everything. Um, so, I mean, it, it wasn't difficult at all. It was a very, very easy, simple game. Uh, but if you want to just sort of go through, experience those original Pokemon and experience it with better graphics, that sort of thing, more of a, more of a vibe as if you're kind of in the world. I think it was, I think it was worth it. And, you know, it, they also had the Let's Go Eevee that came out with that, which I, I didn't uh, try. I just had the Pikachu one. And yeah, I think there were minimal differences as there normally are. It just some different Pokemon making Eevee your main instead of Pikachu. But I know I, yeah, I think it was a very popular, um, I think it sold really well. I think it was pretty popular and I had fun with it. We got so wrapped up in this episode that we forgot to capture Pikachu. That's okay, Matt. We'll just, we'll just get him next time. We'll get him next time. Except, Paul, he's he's right on your shoulder. Pikachu! 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 Pikach
follow us on Instagram at the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast and Twitter at the Nostalgic MP. And don't forget to send your comments and questions, which may be featured on a future episode. Until next time, when we return to the 1990s.